yeah, it's like, are you playing to win or are you playing to not lose? Guys, welcome back to Breakthrough Conversations. My name is Brett English. I'm Ryan Otego. We are joined by the great Alex Waters. Thanks for coming down, bro. Yeah, Yo. thank you so much. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Thanks One question me. I've been dying to ask you for a while. Yeah. I'm go straight into it. Because I've noticed a little bit about your history in real estate and business. And it seems like whatever you've done, you've been fairly successful. Mm. And um, is there anything that you do that separates you from the rest, whether it's in real estate, whether it's in business, or even now that you can sort of tell that sets you apart? Or is it more so just like a lucky streak? which I don't really believe in luck, but yeah. you know. His tattoo says, make your own luck. Okay. <laughs> um, that's a really good question. I was actually reflecting on this exact same thing yesterday okay. as I'm writing some new training for one of my coaching groups. <clears throat> and when I look back on my history as like what you said is like everything I've done, I've seemed to have just been incredibly successful. Mm. I was 17 years old, dropped out of high school, um, you know, was a grade A student, right? But when I dropped out, I became a manager at Woolworths. At 18 years old, I was the youngest uh, manager at Woolworths in, in well, the whole damn. country. You know, and That's I was getting funny. paid 52 grand a year as a high school dropout. And then suddenly I got promoted and promoted again. And then I, I moved over to Arnott's Biscuits then got promoted to Sydney 18 months later. And at 21, I was um, at like a national sales manager. Um, and I was basically had people that would have to support me as analysts that were like 26, 27, 28 that had finished uni degrees and all this sort of stuff. So That's pretty funny. And then obviously real estate. So the one thing that I can boil it down to is when I look back on my career, even at Woolworths as a casual employee at 14 years old, mm. working Thursday nights and Saturdays, um, I would go above and beyond. Mm. I was just always willing to do what was required to get the job done even at times if I didn't get paid for it. Mm. And some people might look at that and go, That's, what, what the fuck, why would you do that for Woolworths, a national um, ASX listed corporation? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's slave labor, yeah. you know? But yeah. I didn't see it like that. I was doing the job for my peers, for my boss, for that. And then I got rewarded because those were the people who made decisions. True. And I think it's so, um, you know, that's one easy way that anyone and everyone can stand out is just by working 10% harder than everyone else. Mm. Was that your mm. intention at the time, just to be better than the rest or was it more to automatic function? Um, you know, I think I wanted to prove to people and just do a good job. And quitting high school gave me that extra motivation because I was yeah. like, if I fail, then I'm really a high school dropout. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. So true, it's true. like a bit of extra motivation to be like, all my friends are at school. I need to prove that this was the right move. Mm. And I think that motivation kind of continued up until I moved to Sydney with Arnott's. And then I just kind of had a natural level of like, yeah, um, yeah natural level of uh, drive behind mm. me to achieve what, what I wanted to achieve. Okay. Did you have relatively positive thoughts your whole life? And did your parents sort of teach you about the subconscious mind and any no. positive reinforcement or you just sort of... Not at all, man. Um, you know, at 14, I think I, I remember like going to a counselor and I was semi-suicidal. Like I remember thinking, I don't know if I was ever really suicidal. I didn't ever like cut myself or anything like that. But I remember thinking about tying a rope up on this pole in my, in my shed. Mm. And like, I think it was sort of a ploy to get attention almost. Mm. Well, like I yeah. felt quite lonely. Yeah. Um, or misunderstood, which I, I think probably a lot of teenagers do. Yeah. You have um, siblings? Yeah, I have an older brother and a younger sister. Oh, so okay. I'm a middle yeah. child. And 
Yeah, no, I d- wasn't taught about any of that. Mm. Nothing. Um, my parents really, you know, um, we came, I came from a, a low to middle income working class family. Um, I remember when we moved to England, uh, sorry, moved to Australia from England when I was six years old. Um, my parents told me a story of that time that uh, they had about $50 a week left over um, after paying the mortgage, paying the car, mm. paying all the bills, um, including the food for like extras. Um, and that was a family of you know three kids and two adults. So it's oh, wow. scary stuff, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, $50, whoa. Yeah. I mean, that, was, that probably went a lot further back in, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, you had probably 20 cent Fredo frogs and stuff like True. that back then. You were born in yeah. 1990? 1990, yeah. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I'm 91, so uh, I figured there, 30 cent Fredo frogs, 30, yeah. 30 cent cones. <laughs> oh, man, 30 <laughs> cent cones. And yeah. Red Rooster bought them out for 20 cents. Oh, really? At one point, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, oh, damn, that must have been a... They were the same. Yeah, I think yeah. now that's like $8. What I like the most was <laughs> yeah, 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 and right now it's like $8. It's $8? Like $8. Yeah. $8 for an ice cream cone? No way. Oh, no, Red Rooster. Ice cream cone was like $3. Really? Yeah. Wow. wow. That's inflation for inflation. you. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah, Man, ice cream cone was like $3. I haven't eaten one in a long time. <laughs> do, do, you remember, do you remember the days of the Maccas in Frio? Right on the beach where um, that new Bathers Beach House is? Yeah, and is there a Maccas there? No, no, it used to be Maccas there. Oh, oh really? Kid, do you remember that? No, I not oh, man. They, they're the only, only uh, Maccas in like the whole country to have um, chocolate uh, soft serve. Oh, damn. Oh, yeah, damn. That's a memory of a lifetime right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wait, they don't do that anymore? They're not there anymore, but they were the, for some reason, they're the only Maccas that did that. So wow. Pretty cool. Memories. <laughs> Good memories, bro. Um, Holy shit. Now, something I want to ask you as well. Um, you do a lot of work on self-expression and becoming the best version of yourself and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. What is your workshop called that's coming up and the one that you just finished? Yeah, man. Uh, so the one, the only workshop that I run in person yeah. um, is called Permission to be Free Live. Okay, yeah. And uh, that's a two day experiential immersive experience um, mm-hmm. that is designed to help people uh, unlock their most authentic self. Okay. Um, yeah, so that they can be confident to be fully themselves. And mm-hmm. obviously the results of that equals uh, getting more of what you want, being able to communicate better in relationships, mm. um, you know, attracting the right people in your life, getting the right opportunities, making more money, having more time, freedom, all yeah. of that stuff. And all that comes from just expressing yourself and being your authentic self. Yeah. Do you, do you think that um, we create ourselves or we discover ourselves? And how does that sort of come out to play? Or what, what you've seen in previous workshops and things like that? Um, I would say it's like a process of discovery, mm. uh, but I don't think there's any real difference between creation or discovery. Oh, really? In that. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah okay, that, make, that kind of makes sense. But um, it's almost like you're looking, trying to find the layers of really who you are, but you're creating it and discovering it, and they're the same thing, in your opinion. Correct. Okay, man. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Do the answer, but yeah. Cool, bro. Um, also, when you're with your coaching clients, whether it's in business, um, spirituality, all the stuff that you've been doing, are there three things that you could find that are keys to be successful that separate those from the others? And three keys that will definitely lead to failure? Mm, that makes that's a sense. great question, yeah. Um, three keys that definitely lead to success. Yeah, so there's a point in every person's journey where, because um, what I do is like a mix of uh, spirituality business like you know high performance kind of like all compounded nothing's really separate um and the clients that um exceed 
their own expectations and anyone else's expectations around them, mm. uh, they all get to a point where they stop resisting change. Okay. So that's the number one key. Okay. Because if you can stop resisting change, then when your ego, when you come up against something with your ego, like, oh my fucking God, there it is again. I can't believe that I'm, fuck. I just dated someone again with the same fucking toxic patterns again. What the fuck? If you can get to a place where you see that and just like accept it and move on instead of getting caught in the like, oh, but what does it mean to change? How do I deal with that? I can't let go. Yeah. Then, <laughs> you know, then uh, that allows everything else to shift. Mm. So that, that has to be number one for sure. Um, number one is that. Number two is uh, a clear why, like a clear purpose. Mm. And, and, and just an understanding of why anything is important to them. Mm. Um, and then three is like, what do they actually want to experience? Is clarity, direction, mm. you know? Um, I used the analogy the other day to uh, a client. Um, she's like, ah, oh, this is hard to work out what I actually want. And I'm like, great. So if I asked you to run a race and uh, I told you there was no finish line, how incentivized do you think you would be to run that race and it's like uh like probably not because like how long am i going to be running for where where am i going which direction do i head in and that is actually life right there is no set finish line the only finish line is death and we have to create our own our own path our own direction and so when you can create a what around that, mm. it just allows everything in your life to start aligning towards that thing. Wow. Mm. Mm, interesting. What are the three keys that would definitely lead to failure? Um, not being coachable, number one. So resistant to change, effectively. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, resistant to change, resistant to external perspective, and stuck in um, to me in, as far as the level of consciousness. Okay. This is happening okay. to me. I'm a victim. I can't change anything. Yeah. I have a problem with my, uh, with my mind that prevents me from experiencing happiness. Wow. AKA well, clinical depression. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we went down yeah. a yeah. rotate path. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was watching a video of you yeah. yesterday, so yeah. Yeah, he's, he's pretty funny. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> How um, would you, do you have any particular tools that would help someone overcome um, that fear of change? The, yeah i mean i think practice is the number one thing that okay that um actually supports people in in um getting better at dealing with their fears yeah practice um and then the second one is actually just going to the root of the fear so it's like okay well great you don't want to you're afraid to start the business because it might not work Great, well, let's just go right to the end of that. Let's say you start the business and it completely fails. What then? And they're like, well, I I mean, I guess, you know, I guess I have to shut it down. And then I guess I'll have to, I'm like, cool, say it fails abysmally. You have no money, you're in debt, everything. All right, well, then I have to go bankrupt. Okay, and what then? Well, I have to move back in with with my parents. Great, and what then? Well, my bankruptcy will be over in three years and then I can do whatever I want again. And I'll just go and get a job and I'm good at many jobs. 
I can go and get a job, I'll get paid again, I'll move back out uh, before the three years is up and I'll try again. <laughs> and it's, it's like you workshop it with people and they're like, oh, okay, so that's the worst case scenario. Because usually what our mind is trying to tell us, um, this is how our mind works, is programmed to um, keep us alive. Our mind relates every fear to um, two things. Uh, I'm gonna die and no one will love me. Which really sums up, I'm gonna die alone. That's what we... Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the first thing the brain goes to. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so they think, oh, I'm afraid to start that business. But really underneath it is like, what if I die? <laughs> Even yeah, if it's okay. not conscious. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. It makes a lot of sense. It's like a yeah. subconscious like, response. <clears throat> like primal. Subconscious primal yeah. response. Yeah. Now, mm. because you've been so successful in <coughs> all the things that you've done, does that normally trickle over to your like, clients, people that you coach? Like... Are you sort of keeping them in a web of like this, this luck or this energy that you're sort of bringing? Or how can you teach that that's given you that, not luck, but you know, you're creating your own luck and making that success very, very definite and very, very possible? Mm. Yeah, well, I believe f completely in um, you know, being in a vortex of energy that is mm -hmm. going to support you. you know, we were all heard you're the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. Mm. And the reason why that is, is because energetically you start swirling in a vortex of that energy and you we, we unconsciously feed off each other. Mm. We are born to relate and communicate with one another. So it's like when you start hanging out with someone, you start using similar words to them. Yeah. Yeah, you might even yeah. start having nuances in your behavior or your hand movements as them. And that's all unconscious. So if we know that that's gonna happen, then you want to put yourself in spaces with people who are already experiencing what you would like to experience. Mm. And I don't, like whilst I teach lots of, lots of tools, tactics and strategies to help people, I don't actually believe that that's the number one pe reason people come to work with me. Mm. I've paid you know, $60,000 to be mentored by um, Preston Smiles over six months and just being in that dude's energy quantum leaped me because wow. you're exposed to someone else's way of being mm. that, that just penetrates right through all of your mind limitations. You know, it's like I was in a room with um, <clears throat> where uh, last year I was in a room with uh, a billionaire, Brad Sugars, um, a room uh, virtually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so he was uh, he was speaking to a mastermind on Zoom. He lives in Vegas and uh, to some of the things he said, he was like, you guys need to think bigger. Stop thinking about trying to 3X your business and look at how to 30X your business in a year. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like how, what, you know, because when you're asked a bigger question like that, it requires you to think differently. And it's like, well, how would I 3X my business? I'd run some Facebook ads. I'd go and do this, go and do this. How would I 30X my business? I'd have to have a scalable product that gets easier to scale and cheaper to scale with each time I sell it, I'd have to go and raise capital. You know, it just it just requires yeah. a different conversation. Oh yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, Com completely changes your modality of thinking. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I have does that answer your question? Yeah. It does answer my question. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I have noticed um, you got a little group of friends, pretty tight. I think it's you and Jake, Jake mm. Loretto, Jordan Canlish, and yourself are like three best friends or three quite close mates. Yeah, we're close. And um, I've just noticed that you guys are the most three successful people that I know. 
Like in mm, Perth. I'm like, right. that's interesting. It's yeah. like feeding off each other and it just sort of grows, <laughs> so that makes sense. Um, yeah, man. So yeah, and I, I actually, um, I want more people to be more successful. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. in my space, because I, mm. I want to keep feeding off other people's energy and I want to mm. spend more time around other people who are thinking bigger and, um, you know, challenging me just as much as I challenge them and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, that's why I love hanging out with Jordan and Jake. Yeah, awesome, yeah. man, awesome. And when did things change for you um, quite drastically when you were in real estate, moving into business and to what you're doing now is like quite a big leap. Why didn't you just stay in real estate and make all the money in the world? <clears throat> what made you really jump into spirituality and things of mm. high nature? Yeah, um, well, Tony Robbins says that humans are motivated by um, uh, two things, either pain or pleasure. And we're more motivated by moving away from pain than we are moving towards pleasure. So for me, I was, ex if you looked from the outside in, I had a lot of pleasure per se. I was earning a lot of money. Um, I had so many awards in the real estate industry. I was owner of two real estate offices and another business overseas at 27. Um, the primary reason that I changed was because it sucked. <laughs> it oh, wow. sucked for me. Yeah. You know, I, I was flying business class. Uh, you know, I, I would go to Sydney for two weeks and blow $20,000 on hotel rooms and wow. drugs and alcohol and I'm like yeah. food, whatever else. <clears throat> no expense spared. I was the I was the dude paying for Uber Blacks everywhere. Like yes. it's such a waste of money, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I was just internally unhappy. Like I'd created an external identity that I thought I had to be in order to be successful. And this is what a lot of people who make a lot of money do. A lot of business people do is they get to a point of either fame or success and then they start to mold and shape themselves based on who they think they need to be to continue to retain what they have mm. to continue to feel safe and approved of ultimately yeah and so for me man like i just remember in 2000 and i think early 2017 i was looking in the mirror um drunk you know i was an alcoholic and was taking so many drugs all the time and uh I just, I just hated who I saw, mm. and that's what led me to search for answers. I didn't know what answers I was trying to find, mm. but I just knew that fuck. If I'm, I've done all of this and I'm still not happy. What? Yeah. <laughs> I need help. Like I actually need someone to help me. And mm. so that's, uh, I went to do an NLP, neuro linguistic programming practitioners course. That was like the first thing. I quit alcohol for 14 months, went to a Tony Robbins seminar, which was cool, but also just like, do more. And that wasn't what I needed yeah, at the time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and then that's when I found one of my um, primary mentors, friends, in, and uh, now friend in, uh, in Preston Smiles. Oh, wow. At his workshop. Yeah. Changed my life. Damn. Yeah. Damn, that's a big just, journey. Just that one moment of like yeah. pure authentic honesty to be yourself I don't like what I see yeah I, don't like I wasn't happy in any way mm. like I, I didn't like the look of my body my face I didn't like who I was I didn't really have good people around me mm. I you know I was just like man I was just spending money to try and make myself happier mm. you know True, yeah. yeah it doesn't work by the way <laughs> I've, tr I've tried yeah it really doesn't work I've tried yeah. so many times you know mm. Mm. but how did you how did you um, 
how did your people in your environment get, uh, get to accept this new Alex? Or were there some people that just kind of ended up like falling away? Mm. Ah, bro, that's such a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people ridiculed me changing. Yeah. You know, because people like to box. Um, people who are playing small in their life and stuck in their conditioning like to put everyone else in a box because it makes them feel comfortable and safe. It's like, if I know what and who you are, then I don't have to deal with variables in my life. Yeah. And I can count on you being the same. So I'm just gonna keep projecting onto you that you're this version of you that I want you to be. And that happened many times. Like I, you know, I, after going to Tony Robbins, I remember st I started doing Facebook Lives back in 2017 when that, that was like a big thing. Think, People yeah. were just starting to do them. And I was talking about, you know, personal development stuff and this and that and things that I learned. And um, I'd get stupid comments on my thing. But over time, man, I just, that helped me move away from those people. Yeah. Because it's like, cool, that doesn't feel good to me. I'm going to keep following this path because I've tried that the other path, path yeah. to death. I've tried it to death. I went all the way, you know, like most people don't ever get to a point where they have businesses turning over millions of dollars a year and like all this external success. I've really tried hard at it. Um, and so, yeah, man, I, they did fall away. Different people did fall away. Um, some relationships fell away and then came back years later um, yeah. after I changed and then they went through their own evolution or, or journey. Um, and I think in many ways I, I am a leader in uh, in life and in my life and certainly I know I've influenced a lot of people who initially uh, were threatened by me or felt or felt the need to ridicule me um, and they ended up going and coming to some of my workshops or my training or <laughs> oh wow um, retreats and stuff like that so oh wow feeling. that yeah it is yeah, it's a great yeah. feeling so yeah. it was impacting them on a subconscious level <clears throat> this whole time mm -hmm. mm. for sure now, um, when it comes to things like spirituality and money, I've noticed um, <coughs> it's hard for people to integrate the two. Mm. A lot of people I know who are quite spiritual sort of shy away from money or don't really get into the business world, and it, can't, it doesn't really lead to the most fruitful, productive life physically. How do you balance out um, money, finance, spirituality, and sort of integrate it all into one? Um, yeah, I mean, I just don't see them as separate. Mm. It's like what... If you're struggling to bring in money and you're spiritual or you identify as, as spiritual in some way, what are the beliefs about money that are getting in your way? Mm. And usually it's like money is bad. Um, only bad people make lots of money. I can't be char charging for this because I'm doing a good thing from my heart. And it's like, well, go look at the history of money. Like it's been around longer than you or I <laughs> and yeah. most people have been around, it's been, I've been around hundreds of, if not thousands of years, just in different forms. And uh, you just gotta ask yourself what, what game of life you're playing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with giving stuff away for free and not charging for your services uh, or not charging much. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if you're in a reality where you recognize conflict in yourself and you actually want something different, but you're in denial of that because you don't think it's spiritual, yeah. then you're, you're denying your own soul's voice. True. Damn, that's nice powerful. For you. <laughs> How do you view money now? 
or how have you always viewed money? Um, man, these are great questions. I'm literally writing a module on money the last two, oh, like two three days. So I've, I've, I, was, I was tuning into you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because I've actually never taught about money before. And the reason why I've never taught about it is because um, I uh, am not like a finance strategist. So it's like, go and invest in this thing and then that'll turn into this. Um, my methods with money have been very unorthodox. <laughs> Um, like I've gone into excessive amounts of debt at times mm. to help me, you know, catapult forward. Um, You're like a young Trump. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. basically. Yeah. I mean that in the, in the best way possible. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I like yeah, Trump. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, got it. Um, yeah, so uh, what was the question again? How do you view money? Um, well, money is just simply an exchange of energy. Mm. That's it. It's just an exchange of energy and value. Mm. And uh, there is an infinite amount of money in the world. The, right now, there is, uh, there is $96 trillion circulating the, the globe. $96 trillion. The US printed $30 trillion, uh, $15 trillion alone last year. Wow. Um, it's like money, <laughs> is, is that suddenly, where did that even come from? Like, what is it? You know, someone just decided to print it. Yeah. And it's just a made up concept. And I think people just, People make money mean so much. They attach so much meaning to what it is for them. Money has nothing to do with your worth or my worth at all. It's not about that. Mm. <clears throat> I could say, um, I, could, I could put a different label on this and sell it for double the price, <laughs> triple the price, yeah. you know? It's pretty expensive. But yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> Maybe you should double your price. No. <laughs> yeah. um, like, f- not using this as an example, right? Let's say the coconut water, but like, well, coconut water is a good example because everyone knows that. This mm. can is probably like $6, right? Yeah. You, you can go to the shops and buy a one liter bottle for $3. $3. $2.50 even. Why is this more expensive? Well, just perception mm. and value. It's what we, we put value on. And mm. that's it. B- people have different perceptions of value. And so as a business owner, I just like to play games with, with money. Um, <clears throat> I... Uh, I had a friend ask me about pricing their product and he's like, oh, I looked at all my, all my competitors and they're pricing around this, this and this. And I was like, well, who really gives a fuck? <laughs> who really cares what anyone else is charging for? Yeah, You're going to go find out your own customers who want your product for, for that reason. If you can create a story around that, that's going to work. So for me, I, I like to, you know, um, now uh, I just charge whatever I feel good about. Mm. Whatever feels good to me. I'm like, for certain services. So for my event, for instance, mm. it's $350 for two days in a mm. room with me where mm. people have come out of it being like, holy fuck, my life has changed. Mm. Is that worth $350? I think that's a steal. Yeah, true, yeah, that's <laughs> true, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. My next program up from that is like five to $6,000. Uh, so for me, I'm like uh, someone, had, someone in that right now who's only 12 weeks in, quit smoking, quit alcohol, has rapidly uh, changed her health, um, got her driver's license, um, has just got a new coaching certification, is um, stepping up in all areas of her life right now, healed relationships with her parents, um, X, Y, Z, you know, healed past sexual trauma. <clears throat> and that's, uh, that for me, $5,000, $6,000 feels good for me to deliver that. Yeah. So I don't think about what anyone else is charging. Mm. And then my one-to-one is, is much higher because I'm like, 
that's a lot more of my time. I just need to feel super abundant in, in sure. being paid that. So I'm just like, mm. great. I'm happy with being paid that. I'm ready to, to over deliver. Mm. Yeah. And what is it that makes the people change so drastically within this course? Is it just <coughs> the accountability or is it the, how much, what is really in this package that can change people's lives like that? Um, we're really working with, with people's paradigms. And people's paradigms are their unconscious, is their unconscious model of the world. Mm. So if you can change someone's model of the world from this to that, they're now experiencing a completely different reality. Mm. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> someone who's lived their whole life, we're, we're talking about money, someone who's lived their whole life struggling to uh, bring money in, you know, just like, can't fucking have enough money. They've always got debt. They just struggle, struggle, struggle. And you dial in on what their beliefs are around money. And then you look at where that came from. And it's like, great. Well, my parents always told me money doesn't grow on trees. Uh, money, only bad people are rich. And uh, you have to work incredibly hard for money. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you have to work incredibly hard for money. And as a child, this person heard all of that and then never saw their parents, saw their parents always stressed and always fighting about money. Mm. And they've just taken all of those lessons and applied it to their own life. And if you take that and you can help someone rewire their neurology um, and really bring awareness to that and then shift their beliefs around that, mm. and they start creating their reality, Money is good. I'm a vessel for, for allowing money to come into my experience. I never say no to money. Mm. Money is infinite. There's $96 trillion in the world. What says I can't make a million of that? True. True. <clears throat> and, uh, and then they just start changing their focus because we all have a reticular activated system, which basically has us look at what we are focusing on. It, it basically just um, deletes and distorts everything that we do not unconsciously believe in. Like a human algorithm. Yeah, human, I love that, yeah. human algorithm. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's like, if I believe money is bad, money doesn't grow on trees, I have to work really hard for money and then I saw my parents never have it, mm. I'm just always searching for opportunities of scarcity. Money doesn't grow on trees. Oh, we've got to save here, we've got to save here. Because if I focus that and stuff, money is abundant. It constantly flows into me. I always have more than what I need. And I start focusing on that. Oh, right now I've got $2,000 in my bank account. I've paid all my bills. I have a credit, credit card that is, is uh, drawn down, but I even, that's abundance. I was gifted that credit line mm. and I have $2,000 in my account right now. And I have a fridge full of food. I have my family. I have fresh air to breathe, clean water. Holy shit. Wow, I'm abundant. Mm. And you just start focusing on that. And then your RAS, your reticular activated system, just starts searching for that around you. And opportunities start creeping into your awareness. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Oh, well, that's, that is brilliant. That's insane. Right. Reminded me of like, um, you know, the guys like W. Clement Stone and Bob Proctor and all, the, all those people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like see the you pioneers. Like, yeah, yeah, like to see you as like a, a modern day version of those, those guys coming mm. up, which is really Thanks. needed in this, uh, in this world right now, because all those guys, obviously, Bob Proctor just recently died. I don't see mm. anyone really stepping up in that space, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Thanks, man. No worries, dude.
I'm going to quickly blow my nose. I'm going to edit this part out. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> oh, all right. <coughs> How was the, um, the Tony Robbins event that you went to? Uh, it was awesome, man. Like, uh, I did the firewalk. So I did Unleash the Power. Uh, You've done it, right, Brett? You I haven't, it? I haven't done it. No. Ah, I no. thought I thought we were talking about it. Um, must have been someone else. Yeah. So Unleash the Power. Then, um, you know, it was in Sydney, 2017. Never been to anything like that before. And um, yeah, I think it was on night one or night two. We did the fire walk, where basically you walk across five to ten meters of literally red hot coals. Oh yeah. Um, don't burn your feet, and you like, don't burn well, your feet. No, you don't burn your Did feet. Did you believe you would burn your feet or didn't? You no, didn't I, I was like, nah, it's possible. And he tells so many stories of uh, him doing it. He's like broken a world record for doing it, wow. like 100 meters or something like that. And um, What do you think is happening there yeah, yeah. in that situation? Because <coughs> uh, normally if you touch a fire, you're going to get burnt. But. Yeah, well, I think it's just an incredible demonstration of the power of the mind. And there are enough examples in our society of people who have defied the human limitations. Mm. Wim Hof is another example. And actually, yeah. in fact, there was a video of Wim Hof being played at, at that event. Oh, um, really? That's when I first heard Whoa. it in 2017. Yeah, that's crazy. So, that, wow, that's that way before. Yeah. Way, before, way before, yeah. yeah. I think that's actually how he kind of got his big yeah. break was through Tony Robbins. Good old Tony. Um, yeah, legend. But yeah, man, just, just the power of the mind. And, um, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza does a lot of work around the power mm. of the mind. Um, and just that it all, for me, it all stems from the belief that uh, I have the power to influence my reality. Mm. And my brain is not separate from my body, it is part of it. Mm. And I have the power of my thoughts creating my reality, and that includes everything around me. And there are certain laws of nature that I can't defy, like gravity. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I think gravity's law of attraction. To be honest, gravity's law of attraction. I think so. Mutual attraction. Think about this: you die, right? Mm. Your body hits the ground. Your soul leaves your body. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why does your body stay here and your soul go? Oh, it's like magnetization. You mean? Well, I, th- I think that there's like your soul has a certain vibration, sure, of resonance right. that's pulled to a realm of that same frequency, mm. and your body is just pulled to the realm of the same frequency because we it. are made of the earth. Yeah. In a sense. So that's how I would define I like that. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that there makes sense. That's groundbreaking. That and the human the human uh, the human algorithm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm AI. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you some questions about boundaries? Some boundaries you have to set with yourself and also with other people mm. that really helped you um yeah, really helped you grow as a as a human. Mm. Anything come to mind? Yeah, man. Um, yeah, and I'll start this by saying that every, every pattern, behavior, like everything has its light side and its dark side. Mm. So when we're children, um, we all make unconscious decisions about who we need to be in order to survive, be a part of the pack, be accepted, all of that sort of stuff. And, uh, some people, they get picked on. And then they decide that they need to be funny and an entertainer. Yeah. Right, is that me. you? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny. I've done, I've done comedy a few times, yeah. But. Have you? Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. 
funny and an entertainer in order to survive. So they're, mm. they're the class clown, they're always making jokes and then people validate them and like them for that. Yeah. Right, so that's, that's a beautiful and very societally accepted strategy because being mm. funny is fucking awesome. Yeah. For me, I look back and when I really pinpoint it, I made a decision of, well, you're probably not gonna like me anyway, so fuck you. I'm not gonna even let you close mm. and I'm not gonna try. Okay. And I'm going to be different and I'm going to prove to you how much fucking better I am than all of you. Mm. That makes sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so how that manifested in my life was, because I hear this with my clients, I hear it with other people and I think it's, it's sort of loaded in that question a little bit mm. of like, when I'm trying to grow, it's hard for me to, to set boundaries with people who aren't supportive of my growth. Mm. And for me, that was never a challenge because I, I had that pattern. True. The beautiful thing about that mm. is that from a young age it's always been easy for me on some level to go or, or not easy but it's felt like my nature mm. to go fuck it i'm dropping out of high school i don't care what anyone else says fuck my parents yeah. fuck the school i'm not listening to anything did you listen to the, the, fuck, the machine when you were a kid no <laughs> no i wasn't an angry kid like that <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe that? a couple of times on um, <laughs> on uh, rage on a sunday yeah, morning yeah, yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> but uh yeah, man. So, so I, I've, I'm very good at setting boundaries um, with people, and just the dark side of that is I'm, or I can also fall into a pattern of isolating myself. Mm. Yeah, and uh, that hap- I'm, I'm way better at noticing that and just like, oh fuck, I've isolated myself again. Yeah, let's reach out to some friends. <laughs> but in the past, put, 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 <laughs> But in the past, it was like very uh, challenging for me because I was like, why am I lonely? Why am I alone? Mm. So yeah, setting boundaries. Um, I think you just got to be clear on what your values and priorities are in life. Mm. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. and they can change and adapt as time goes on. And I do believe that anyone who's been incredibly successful in their life at anything, at a sport, at, you know, at breaking world records, at, in business, like, whatever it is, right? Farming, (laughs) Mm. they have a tendency at some point to spend the majority or a large portion of their 24 hours in the cycle towards their mission. Yeah. Yeah. Even if that includes rest, right? But the rest is so that they can perform better. Their food is so that they can perform better. Mm. You know, and, and I think, yeah, anyone who's been incredibly successful definitely um, sets boundaries like that. What about some boundaries with yourself you've had to set in order to reach your vision? Um, yeah, I mean, things, yeah, a couple of things come to mind. In 2018, um, and this is like the opposite of, of money and stuff, but 2018, I had had so many like pretty horrible relationships really like just mm. three or four in my 20s hadn't really gone that well i'd been terrible in them and um i also was i would consider a sex addict like i had sex with 200 plus women um at that point at 28 and um That's a decent body count <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know i mean i stopped counting at like 21 when it hit 40 or something like that, you know, but I decided to be celibate for six months. Mm. And so that was a boundary that I put in place with myself because 
I recognized that my typical pattern of behavior was that every single woman I met, whether I found her attractive or not, my mind would ask me, uh, I bet you could fuck her. Or how, <laughs> you know, what would yeah, it yeah. take for you to fuck her? Like something like that. And I was constantly searching out ways to fuck. And even if I, mm. even if I didn't really it's like a want little to. bet with yourself. Yeah. Sorry? It's like a little bet you have with yourself. Like. Kind of, yeah. It was yeah. just like, a, it was just a compulsion, really. Mm. And so six months of celibacy was a boundary I set with myself and that enabled me to completely re- reshape and rewire my relationship with women mm. because I was like, great, I'm not having sex with anyone. Mm. So I'm going to meet this woman and just get to know her, mm. just spend time with her as a friend and actually communicate with her. Hey, I'm not going to sleep with you. Yeah. <laughs> if, whether you, whether you want to or not, yeah. Like, I'm just letting you know that this is what I'm doing for myself right now. So we, we can't go there. Mm-hmm. And it actually created a lot of um, safety in these connections for, for women to get closer with me. And I was able to come out of that and, you know, actually have female friends that I didn't just mm-hmm. want to, like, fuck all the time. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. Um, can I ask what you were doing with those 200 women? <coughs> like, was this, like, some system you developed like, to <laughs> sleep with them or, like... <laughs> What what is this a natural thing? Um, did you like read Neil Strauss and things of that nature, or I did, but not until I was twenty five. Okay. Oh damn. So, okay. Yeah. So at that point, I was like, I want to get better at this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I actually ended up going to um, the RSD World Conference World Seminar in Vegas at one point. Real okay. Social Dynamics, which is the company that wow. Neil was a part of Holy at the crap. end of that book. Oh okay. yeah, true. Um, so yeah, I. Was there a system? Um, not really, man. I think just mm. like going out lots, getting drunk lots. I was Fair just enough. in the game probably You're a lot. You in the vortex, mate. Yeah. 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 Okay. Pretty cool. How was that seminar, the social dynamics seminar? Um, pretty bad. Bad? Yeah. Oh, really? Bad. Yeah. Like, like, what do you mean? Uh, as in like this terrible or like? Yeah, pretty terrible. Okay. It was just a bunch of dudes that are like very self-absorbed. Um, yeah. Just trying Cal- to Californian mm, pickup artist, I suppose. Basically, yeah, yeah trying yeah. trying to learn how to uh, use more manipulation to fuck more women. Yeah, it gets pretty dark, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Damn, right. That's interesting. In, in, yeah. in, your, yeah. in your sort of spiritual search, <laughs> things you've done, um, have you ever experienced something really profound spiritually that had changed the way you perceive the world or where you perceive God in that sort of nature? Mm. Yeah, I mean, the biggest experiences I've had like that have been with plant medicine. Um, not all, but a lot. Yeah. And uh, or, or started with that. And yeah, I mean, I would say that. Um, now, let's actually start before that. Yeah, before I even started with plant medicine. After I did co- um, was in coaching with with Preston. Uh, I was going through a process of changing my paradigms in the world. And uh, a part of that was like just looking for and, and focusing on where I could experience love in every moment. Mm. And looking, looking through a lens of love glasses, seeing everything as love. Now I know why you wear the love glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so 
that started to completely shift my reality because mm. in the past it was like I have to take care of myself you know if I go anywhere I'm gonna have to pay for accommodation stuff like that mm. and I started just to be more free in my expression and look for like actually look for unconditional love in, in any moment and yeah. I started to be open to more opportunities you know I went to Hawaii in February March 2018 and like got connected with some dude that someone I knew knew and stayed at his house for free for six weeks. And um, that completely started to sh reshape my reality with uh, and my experience of God. Um, you know, I'd be out in nature and I'd start to um, uh, say like, ah, send me a sign. And then like a, a bird would just fly past or like I was at this, um, you know what's even crazier? I was at this beach in Karatha called Hearson's Cove and the tide goes out really, really far up there. So in the mornings, the tide comes back in if, if the tides are right at that mm -hmm. time. And I did that a couple of times. I'd, I'd be in there as the tide's coming in, ankle deep water, and I'd be like, send me a sign. And then I'd hear a splash and I'd look up and there's just this little shark oh. swimming. Oh, damn. Damn. You know? So cool. people could, the reason I share that one is because people could, um, say, oh yeah, but birds fly around all the time. <laughs> yeah, true. Do you really see sharks like that all the time? I've never seen a shark like no. that. No. Exactly. It's yeah. just stuff like that, you know? And I just started to be connected in on that frequency and tapped into to God and to my connection. Um, so those experiences shaped me and changed my experience and relationship with, with God. Um, and then I, you know, started using plant medicine in a big way and, um, yeah, there's some big experiences that come to Did mind. Did that change you a lot using these plant medicines? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. How would you um, begin or even define what God is now or how you perceive it? Uh, God is everything. Mm. Yeah, I perceive God as everything, uh, as me, as you, um, as this experience. And um, it is constantly... Uh, and consistently conspiring in our favor. Mm. Um, it is absolute, it is always here, always available to us. Um, is, is there any practices that you would give to someone to help deepen their connection with God or to tap into that awareness of, of that? Yeah, uh, meditation is one, mm. like conscious meditation, focusing on your connection. Mm. Um, <laughs> plant medicine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plant medicine for sure. Um, <clears throat> I mean, you can access, yeah, things, I think these tools to start with are like ways to help the human break through the layers of conditioning that prevents them from experiencing what is already there. So when we do breath work, when we take mushrooms, when we take ayahuasca, when we meditate, we're almost like altering our normal state of being and if my experience with plant medicine has been like, you know, let's say you, you're normally here in your state of awareness and consciousness and God is here mm. and you take mushrooms the first time and you jump to here and you're like, whoa, what the fuck? Because you, you've just yeah. touched it. You know, you kind of go like that and land there. And then you, you do it a hundred times. When you're sober, after doing it a hundred times, you just end up here, right there. You're just like right mm. in alignment with that frequency. And you just need to make a couple of choices about 
how you focus your energy and awareness to be like, to allow your, your energy centers to open up and, and feel the connection, I think. Wow. That's my experience. But you're, pretty intense. What's yeah. your experience? Um, usually pretty good. <coughs> pretty good. I did a session with um, Theo recently. Mm. Just it was yeah, a beautiful session. Just focusing on getting in the body. And I realized just how much I've been hiding from going inside of my body mm. and sort of hiding in the mind saying, oh, I'm safer up here. But in actual fact, I was actually in my body. It was like a paradox where I was just afraid of really feeling and going deeper within my mind and my body. And when I started really focusing on it, I could just feel these knots. This really, really like a, like a towel being strained all mm. through here. As I was breathing into it, it was opening up more and more. And I could feel different parts of my body activate. And I just felt so open and alive in all these different spots. And this, the, the calmness and the, the feeling of openness and freedom. And this, the ability to do whatever you wanted to do. Like you had this access to different levels of, of consciousness. For me, normally it was this calm piece, but also a lot of knowing. And it's, it's very hard to sort of articulate because my vocabulary is not that great at going deep into these things, but it really unlocks your potential as a human being mm. in, in the body and also the mind, which I didn't realize the body contains so much intelligence you can tap into, where I was thinking it's all just in the mind, but it's actually both when you can really embody it and also hold it in your conscious awareness. Um, so yeah, plant medicine have really opened a lot up for me. I'm still trying to like um, integrate and unpack all of it to really hone in on it and take it into everyday life. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's something, yeah, you just have to really be, go there and take them to, uh, experience it. <coughs> yeah. Where you're going. Have you done any plant medicines with your clients? <coughs> uh, yeah, I run a, uh, retreat called the infinite potential retreat. Oh, okay. Um, and that is, uh, the next one is in Portugal in, uh, July next year. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, um, I facilitate in that space. Oh, okay. Yeah. What made you choose Portugal? Uh, everything is decriminalized there. Okay. Oh, yeah. damn. Okay. You found a loophole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a loophole, you in, found. In yeah. Portugal, I did not know that at all. Yeah. yeah. They've, decriminalized, they've decriminalized all the all drugs for a long time. Wow. Completely all changed drugs. their country. Yeah. For the better? Wow. I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah, for the better, yeah. for sure. Like, they just don't have a problem anymore because... That's cool. They're not treating... Like, and I use the word drugs then, like, Plant medicine, drugs, very separate. Um, but you know, someone who's trying to, um, who's taking heroin every day, isn't a criminal. They just are trying to. F they feel so empty inside. They're so suppressed in their expression um, that they're just trying to feel something. And the closest thing they can get to feeling is taking heroin. Mm. And apparently, that feels pretty good. So yeah. <laughs> And, and it's like what those people actually need is love, love and connection and a safe space to, um, to heal. That's it. That's all addiction is. Addiction is just the, um, the human seeking connection outside of himself. Mm. Hey, that's yeah. actually very true. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. I think of Russell Brand something very similar is like, um, all addictions are all substances are all desires are a cheap substitute for the desire to be one with God. Yeah. You know, and heroin's a pretty good alternative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, or cocaine or like yeah. anything, for sure. Yeah, totally, man. Um, yeah, so, they, so Portugal totally decriminalized um, everything. Yeah, have you seen any crazy profound um, changes in your clients ever since they, before and after did the plant medicine? Yeah, man, yeah, like people, uh, 
literally have shifts that change their entire life in one ceremony. Um, the retreat is a week long and uh, we sit with mushrooms three times in that retreat. Um, and uh, Wow, three times. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just profound, like some of the shifts that can happen. Because, you know, uh, I've heard people argue that like, oh, you don't need plant medicines and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, you don't. <clears throat> you also don't need breath work. You don't need meditation. But these are all just great tools that you can use to help you access a state of consciousness that you haven't probably ever accessed consciously or experienced. And so it's like um, what actually happens when you take mushrooms is the default mode network in the back part of our brain, which think about those words, default mode. That is where the brain stores all of your habits, patterns, behaviors, unconscious beliefs in order to conserve energy. That's what yeah. our brain does, right? So every time I see Brett, I punch him on the arm like that and say, Hey, buddy, like that's a habitual response. I don't, I don't say that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? clears throat> well, like, uh, you know, the way you answer the phone every time your mum calls. Yeah. Oh, hey, mum. Or like, hey, mum. You know, yeah. whatever. It's a habit, usually. So that's all stored in that part of the brain, including um, our autonomic nervous system, which controls breathing because we don't have to think about that. Now, what happens when you take mushrooms is that part of the brain starts to shut down so that the left and right side of the brain can more freely communicate with one another. And essentially, the, the easiest and, and closest thing I can describe is it's like experiencing yourself without your usual patterns, without your default way of being. So what that can do is for a person is feel very unsafe because it's like, I don't know who I am in the experience. Yeah. But the, that's a part of why it's so great because um, you can make huge shifts so quickly. Because anytime we think we know who we are, we're creating an identity about ourselves, which is actually in conflict with what is. It's actually in conflict with reality. We're creating a limitation for ourselves, a limited story of, I am a man who is this age and I can experience X, Y, Z in my life because I'm smart and I'm this and I'm not good at sport and blah, blah, blah. I've just put myself in a box. Yeah. So we just want to help people rip the box off and that's what wow. plant medicine does. So, so that box oh, is actually wow. the ego. <coughs> yeah. 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 That's interesting. I had that same experience with um, Santa Maria or marijuana. If I have, if I have quite a wow. little bit of it, I'll actually be able to witness my own personality, all my, my programs from an objective point of view, not subjective. Really? So I'm like somebody else looking at me saying, oh, fuck, mm. we should just... And so I literally start to tinker with that. And um, if I, for the next few weeks, I'll be a better man, so to speak. But if I don't do it for quite a while, I get stuck into a rut and I get stressed with work, I can feel that coming back in. And if I do it again, I'm like, whoa, I've just seen... I go back to the time I was originally high and I see the relapse of that and try to call myself out on it and keep, keep it going. It's, I never really had words to describe it. But now you just said that with the whole back of the brain thing and all those patterns, that makes so much, so much sense. sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a lot better linguistically. Sure. I don't know if, if uh, that's how weed works versus uh, mushrooms. Okay. I, don't, I don't know if they work exactly the same, but I imagine but there's some What you described was exactly what For I was sure. yeah, experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. It's immaculate, man. Because yeah. isn't weed a um, psychedelic as well? It is a psychedelic. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. 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 Y
and your car, your clothes, everything <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, why is color so important to have in our lives? Um, well, I mean, color's everywhere. Yeah. The trees are green, the sky's blue. True. Um, you know, you go into the bush, nature, flowers are all these different colors. Mm. Um, so color is what we exist in, really. Mm. And I just think that, um, for me at least, I was in a pattern of um, dressing to conform unconsciously. Yeah. Oh, I'll wear black jeans and a black shirt because that's what I saw that person wear and that looks good and mm. that's what the shops have available. True. Um, so yeah, I just got to a place where... <clears throat> Excuse me. I just got to a place where I um, realized that uh, I wanted to be fully expressed in all areas of my life. Mm. And I like to say that I wear my soul on my skin. And so for some people wearing the crazy, um, mm. you know, wild kind of colorful pattern clothes that I wear is not their soul. That's mm. not their soul's voice. That's what it is for me. That's cool. It turns me on. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's what it is. And I was like, cool. I'm gonna paint my card. People are like, what? Oh, what's that for? What business is that? I'm like, it's not. It's just me. That's it's just cool. a representation just like a, of me. Yeah. Also abundant as well. Abundance. Like you want to do something, just do it. No limitations. Yeah. Totally. Um, but I have noticed we're sort of losing our color as a society. Like all the clothes are getting grey, silver, devices, homes. Like back in the Cars, 70s, everything. The carpet's green. The curtains are freaking orange. Yeah, man. The ceilings. I don't even know, but like so much color, but now it's just become, you know, there's only three shades of gray. That's all we've got, mm. so to speak, in, in modern housing and stuff. Yeah, 30 shades of gray. Yeah, 30 shades of gray. Or 50 shades yeah. of gray. <laughs> that's that's the gray, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. I haven't watched it clearly. Oh, yeah, I watched it a long time ago. But uh, alrighty, man. I'm going to go to some questions here. Mm. Has, um, has being a father changed you? in a drastic way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't matter. It's a silly question, yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to know a little bit more about that and like what, what happens when you, you realize you're about to come be a father and then when you are a father and how that mm. changes your personality or the way you see life. Yeah, man. Well, when I was 28 is when uh, Sammy fell pregnant. Sammy's my, uh, Atlas's mum. Atlas is now three years old. Um, and we were actually at Burning Man uh, when she was 11 weeks pregnant. And we were like, mm, I don't know if we'd found out that he was a boy at this point, but she knew. She like, was like, it's a boy. Yeah. And uh, we had a day at Burning Man where the men did stuff and the women did stuff. And we, I took two tabs of LSD. Nice. We had a men's circle with like some of these um, huge you know, conscious leaders, um, Adam Rower, Preston Smiles, like a bunch of other dudes from... Um, from LA and California and okay. overseas. And uh, I remember we rode around, checked out some art, rode right to the end of the playa and we dropped into a circle. And here I was, 28 years old, in this circle of men sharing their truth with this stick, barely able to talk because I took two tabs at LSD. My entire reality was shattering before my eyes and what I noticed was how I just felt like a little boy in a circle of men. Mm. And all of my shit just started to come up about like how I actually didn't feel like a man. Mm. I didn't relate to myself as a man. 
you know, I remember um, it would have been like a year before that, I was in the shopping center, just in the grocery store, and um, getting something off the shelf, and I hear a woman say, I just like a kid kind of goes past me, this woman say, um, oh, Billy, um, watch out for the man. And I looked around looking for the man and realized, <laughs> realized she was talking about me. Yeah. You know, so the biggest thing that shifted for me was like that, just having to face the parts of me that didn't feel like a man. Where was I not taking radical responsibility in my life? Where was I not actually identifying and feeling and embodying what it is to be a man? And, uh, you know, when you start to have a child, you're like, you go from just you and just being chill, it's just fucking you, to a partner and a child. And now you are responsible for multiple people. Mm. And, you know, I'd had businesses up until that point and stuff like that, but it was never really the same. And so I think just um, the biggest thing that shifted for me was like a level of maturity and responsibility. And as Atlas started to get older, say like one year old, you know, one and a half and started to walk and all of that sort of stuff, um, we went through a separation when he was three months old and I was definitely like out drinking and partying, just trying to get through what was really a really challenging time. Mm. Not necessarily using the most effective methods to do that, but it worked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it worked. Yeah. Um, wouldn't have worked forever. And yeah, man, I just had to, you know, there was, I remember there's like one or two times where I had him on a Sunday or a Saturday or something and I was just slightly hungover and it mm. sucked. It sucked for me, probably sucked for him a little bit. Yeah. Like, and I just wasn't able to be fully present as a dad. And I had to have a good hard look at myself and be like, what do you, what's fucking important to you, bro? Mm. Cause you say that being a father is important to you. Is it really important to you based on your decisions? And for me, the answer was no, I wasn't making him a priority. Mm. And that's a hard thing to, you know, kind of face. But I think that, um, there are a lot of dads out there that are in that position right now. Mm. Um, yeah, and it, it also required me to look at everything about my life. So there was a group of people that I was kind of hanging out with. And I noticed that whenever I had Atlas, I wouldn't want to be around them. And I was like, why do I not want my son to be around these people? Oh, wow. Um, right, because like, I don't think they're a very good influence on him. Well, then why am I hanging out with them? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Why am I hanging out with those people? I don't want my son around them. Like, what the fuck? Mm. And it, it also opened up all, all this whole can of worms of like, um, when, when a woman's pregnant and when um, she's breastfeeding, there's all these products that they say, can't give to breastfeeding mothers, can't give to mothers. And why is that? It's because there's a toxic load in it that the, might affect the baby a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, like, and that created a lot of awareness for me around my health and what products I was using and foods I was consuming and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, there was that. Um, and just everything about my life, I was like, I, he's watching and he's learning how to be a man from me. He's, yeah. he's learning how to relate with women from me. It's really up to me to set the example that I want to set. And there definitely have been no one's perfect and I'm, I, I'm constantly in a conversation with myself of like how do I better my best and just show up better how do I improve how I how, how I am as a man how I am as a friend 
Um, do I have friends around when he's around to show him what it's like to have healthy relationships? Like all of these kinds of things. So completely overhauled my life, bro. Wow. Required me to step up in a level of abundance as well because, you know, we, we separated. His mom and I separated and, um, you know, she took all the furniture. Like uh, I had to, um, I agreed to give her a big payout um, and then I was paying child support. I was paying her rent for a long period of time and I was paying like two lots of rent, you know. Well, wow. I had to make sure that she had everything and I had everything. So it's like two cots, two sets of bottles, two sets of nappies, like all of that sort of stuff. Wow. And obviously she took care of some of that stuff for herself as well. I didn't take care of all of it, um, but it just increased my capacity. Yeah, well, I had yeah to definitely. That. Yeah. Had to, yeah. yeah. I made the decision that I had to. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's that's cool. I love the self awareness around that yeah. as well. Mm. I work with kids sometimes. Um, well, I do work with kids. You know, doing youth work and um, I work with autis- autistic kids and stuff like that. And I've noticed if I swear or do something silly, they'll just copy me. Mm. And when I see them copy me, I'm like, fuck. You you just don't. You just realize straight away that everything you do is just home. being mirrored and taken on board. So it's like, yeah. You really got to watch. I really got to watch myself. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Um, sorry. Before, when you had, um, what would you say would be the difference um, in how you define love before you had your kid and after you had your kid? Mm, that's a great question, man. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I just, uh, It just give like having children gives life a whole new meaning and it gives life an actual meaning. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I have a son now. I have someone to provide for and to love and to care for and make sure that he is the best he can be and has the best life. <clears throat> and um, I think before my experience of love was probably quite selfish yeah selfish in the way i would relate with women in relationships like not necessarily consciously but unconsciously um selfish in the way i would relate with my parents um and this you know this experience of being a dad has required me to expand my capacity to love unconditionally um in so many ways because um he could be you know, he could try and throw something at me or like um, get angry with me or whatever. He's just being difficult to, to be around at, at times, which children, you know, have their moments. And it's my job to continue to come back to love in that and hold a bigger space for myself and for him so yeah. that I can hold, hold a loving energy and space. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. So answer your question. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Effectively, it's kind of like your teach. It's teach taught you how to love without expecting anything back. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, which is really what love is. Yeah, you know. Whereas I think in my previous relationships, it was like I'm loving because I'm expecting back. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm, and I'm loving in the hope that I will get back. Um, and of course, like he shows me love back. Um, and I'd be very, very sad if he didn't. Yeah. And also, I would still love him. 
Oh, that's beautiful. Mm. That's yeah. Beautiful. And that's like when you see, you know, parents of like the son that, um, you know, has massacred like 10 children at a school or whatever, and they're still just there showing up in the courtroom, like there for their son. And it's like, you know, you, you, I understand why. I understand why, because like, you might not agree with what that was well, done, done, but, but like, he's still my son. I still love him. Unconditional love. love yeah. Unconditional. Yeah. yeah. My son's never, probably never going to do that. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. With, with your work and things like meditation and plant medicines, do you work with the body much or work with the heart in particular? Have you had any experiences with unlocking it or opening it or activating that heart-mind coherence, so to speak? Yeah, like within myself or with other people? Or, or both. Um, yeah, I mean, with myself, that's been a big um, part of the work that I've done mm. is to open my heart and be feel connected with my heart. Mm. Um, and that's a, you know, it's a consistent practice of like coming back to my heart mm. um, and back into my body. Um, I think that the simplest way to teach that and this, this most simple practice for coming back into your body Mm. is breath okay simple that's it and it's like if you just give yourself that moment which most people don't and yeah. I've noticed at times in this conversation I'm you know sort of sucking my belly maybe even breathing in my chest a little bit yeah. unconsciously mm. and whenever I notice I just try to relax and bring it back breathe yeah. bring it back um, but yeah man I mean I'm not a, I'm not a practitioner that does like body work or anything like that but mm. We do um, lots of different things in my courses, in my retreats, and in my events like mirror work, eye gazing, breath work, um, and a lot of those are coupled with um, conscious and intentional instructions to bring people back into yeah. their heart space. Yeah, cool. yeah. I think I've been working on quite a bit, and it comes in fluctuations. Like some days, these and others. Mm. Some ten people you're with, it's easier than others. Um, some medicines you take are easier than others, but. Um, yeah. Try to get that consistency with it is, is, is quite tough. Mm. Yeah. I find my mind and ego is very overpowering, where it just sort of just gets into work mode, and then it's only once you've had three coffees and <laughs> after a hard day, you know, whoa, where was I for the last two days? Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, I remember what you, were, you were talking about um, your why and your values. Um, how, how does someone find their why and how would they? Also, find, what do they also need to do to find what values are truly true to them to drive them to the direction that they want? Yeah. Um, you know, the reason why, <laughs> the reason why a why is important is because when you really get to the point of life, my belief is that there isn't really any meaning. There's no meaning to this existence. We have to create our own meaning for it. And most people are operating from a survival-based why right now, unconsciously. Just, they're doing everything just to survive, just to pay their bills, just to get to the weekend, um, you know, just to get through the next day. And once you actually transcend that state of consciousness, you access a different level of abundance. You know, if you access more money, more choice, more options, um, you get to a point where you're like, oh, why am I doing any of this? What's the point now? 
And um, that's a first world problem where most people get over, people that get to that point get overwhelmed by choice. It's also the thing that people are afraid of is that space of the unknown. That's why people sabotage their own success is because they're afraid of what happens when they have that much choice. And it's just simply because they haven't experienced it, they don't know what to expect. Yeah, so they're afraid of their own freedom. They're afraid of their own freedom. Because it's like, if I have infinite possibilities and an infinite amount of choice, what the fuck? I don't know what to even do with that. Mm. Um, so, did that answer your question about the why? What was it again, yeah, specifically? The, the why, what, how do you find the why that's gonna... How um, do you find the why, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, man, I think it actually doesn't matter what your why is, um, as long as it's something for you that is compelling. And so, um, that could just be asking yourself, like sitting with that question, simply sitting with that question. Why do I want more money? Why do I want better health? Why do I want to be happier? And it, that why could be like, well, I don't want to live in this reality right now where I'm unhappy, broke and unhealthy. And um, I want to prove to everyone around me that I can do it. <laughs> that was one of my initial whys, you know, is that healthy long term to do things to prove a point to people? Definitely not. Could it be motivating for a period of time in your life? Fuck yeah. So why not do it? Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I just use anything that will help me motivate myself to experience what I want. Yeah. Um, but I, I think most humans have an intrinsic why, which is to experience peace and fulfillment. Yeah. I think that is what we all want deep down. Okay. Yeah. And how do we, how do we find our values that are really true to us? Mm. Uh, a friend, uh, Mitch Vickridge, actually just directed me to a tool um, on Dr. John Martini's website very recently. He has oh, like a yeah. free values assessment. Um, so that's, that's one way you can do things like that or just simply start writing a list of everything that's actually important to you. And, and then once you've got that, you can just start ranking them. The problem with doing that is that most people, me included, I think we have unconscious biases of where we think our values should be. Like, oh, oh, health is my number one value. It's like someone who goes to Macca's twice a week. Um, you know, just <laughs> on Instagram, it's my highest value. Sorry? On Instagram, it's my highest yeah, value. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah or it's like um, family is my number, one, my number one highest value, but they see their family once every fortnight, yeah. you know, because um, it's just, it's idealistically, mm. I would like family to be my number one, mm. but my behaviors don't really show that that's what's important to me. Wow. So I think that's an important conversation in values and none of it's wrong as well. Like, you know, it's not wrong to put family fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, ten, whatever feels best for you. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody trying to navigate, quote unquote, the matrix and the bombardment of propaganda, the media, like, you know, world wars, Russia, all that kind of stuff and getting sort of lost in that, that world that's been shoved down our throats and really just finding clarity in that and how to navigate that space to live the life of their dreams while the world is seemingly burning, <laughs> if mm. that makes sense. Sure. Have you come across stuff like that before? Or? 
Yeah, I mean, the number one thing is just stop watching the news and consuming anything like that. Mm. Because how do you know that it's even true? Which is a little bit sad. Yeah. That, that you can't trust, you know. Maybe. Our media sources. Yeah, maybe. I don't think we've ever really been able to trust our media sources. Mm. You know, the media started in, in the wars, like World War One, World War Two, and it started as propaganda. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's, <laughs> so, that's a very good point. I think yeah. I actually saw that on one of your TikToks, maybe. Oh, did you? Did yeah. you talk about that? I, talk, I talked about that, yeah. I talked about um, Sigmund Freud's nephew becoming the, pro- the propaganda specialist who was, he took all of Sigmund Freud's work on our vulnerabilities, so to speak, and insecurities and turned them into this massive media giant and he worked for Rockefeller to re-publicize his image. And that's where the majority of the media comes from today. It's from, yeah. And also the, um, the grandson of the nephew of um, Sigmund Freud, who did that propaganda expert, he owns Netflix. Oh, right. damn. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's a bit of a saucy trail. Super interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, very interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, there yeah. you go. And um, yeah, I mean, like, do I, do I support war? No. Uh, is there anything that I personally can do about it right now in, in, in direct um, you know, direct intervention. Mm. No, I don't have Vladimir Putin's number, not his friend. <laughs> um, what can I control in my reality that will support the kind of world that I would like to live in? Mm. That's beautiful. Very stoic as well, you know, just focus on what you can control and mm-hmm. move on forward. It's actually a three-part question. Okay. So you realize, yeah. okay. <laughs> the, the first one is, what was your greatest fear that you've conquered? And the second one is, what's the greatest fear that's yet to be conquered in your life now? Mm. If there is one. Mm. That's a big question. Um, what's the biggest fear that I've conquered? I think, like, generally speaking, yeah. it would be um, the fear of not being good enough. Mm. I would say I've... I've mostly conquered that I'm afraid that I'm not going to be good enough yeah and um, basically it's like I'm afraid I'm not good enough for love mm. so yeah I would say on, in a big way I've, I've conquered that like I'm generally very free in who I am I honor my integrity and who I am mm. and my truth and I'm not afraid of of that um, nice. yeah I'd say that's a, that's a really big one um, and what's the biggest fear um, yet to conquer? Mm. You know, man, if I'm being really truthful, um, I think it would be like uh, r- really um, on some level still, I experience that I'm, um, I have fears around like really letting myself be loved in intimate partnership. With the one oh, really? Allowing yourself to be seen or just to be loved in general? Um, yeah, maybe allowing myself to be seen. Mm. Like maybe there's fears of, um, I, I don't think the fears are like have a hold over me. Yeah. I just think it's because they have, when I look back in my past, that's something that I've definitely dealt with and, mm. and had my whole life. And I haven't really yet had an experience where I've been able to practice completely letting go. Because okay. I haven't met a woman that I've wanted to like be in a relationship with and practice really? that. Do you believe that's something that that's happens mystically, or do you believe it's something you commit to and make happen? 
like finding a partner. Yeah, and allowing that to unfold. Uh, I don't believe there's any separation between that. Oh, really? So you could, okay. you could commit and decide to make that the same way you could make $10 million? Well, commit and decide that is, is mystical. The mystical yeah. is that. Yeah, okay, yeah. You know? Who, yeah, who, decide, who, who comes up with committing and deciding? Yeah, that's the grand consciousness, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, like, if it, it depends though, because like that could be construed in a couple of different ways. If you're committing from your ego mind, mm. of like, yes, it's time, I want a girlfriend, like, I, I need to have a girlfriend. Mm. Slightly different to like, my heart tells me that it's time to commit and it's ready. True. You know, I'm ready. Mm. And um, I would say I'm, I'm very new, newly in that space now of like just realizing, you know, I'm, I'm very ready to, to like be in relationship yeah. and I don't, I, I don't, I'm okay being alone. I, I've been alone most of my life. Like I've had yeah. short relationships here and there, but um, I don't want to do it anymore alone. Mm. I'd rather experience something different. And my heart told me that, not my head. Wow. Okay. So. Yeah, awesome. it comes like from within a bit deeper than yeah. yeah the normal noise of the mind, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. So I'd say I would say yeah, there's definitely still like there's maybe fear slash apprehension around really letting myself fully surrender and commit to someone else in relationship. Yeah. Like I'm not talking about like oh hey we're dating now we're in relationship awesome like let's move in I've done that I'm talking yeah. like I will let you see all of me. I'm going to let you in. I'm going to commit to this thing mm. like fully and let my heart be fully here. Yeah. And I'm going to work at this when it's hard and like mm. all, you know, really wow. just like let all the love in. I'm going to let you love me so much. Mm. That's like just going all in. Exactly. I, I suppose the fear that even came up for me is like, wow, if you really do that, open yourself up, fully commit, 100% in. If they were to leave you, they'll be like really like the abandonment would be real. Like if you sort of faked it and it half in, half out. There's no really harm. If you want to leave, you can leave. But totally. when you're all in, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit different. Scary. Yeah. Scary, yeah. But then you're really living, I suppose. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, are you playing to win or are you playing to not lose yeah. in life? That's, and, a, that's a good quote. Yeah. I'm going to chop that up. <laughs> um, uh, that's something I teach in my courses, in my, in my programs, that yeah. principle. Can you repeat it again? Are you playing to win or are you playing to not lose? Because like a lot of people are just playing to not lose in their life. It's mm. like love and fear. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And you can never really experience love until you are willing to play to win. Until you're willing to open your heart fully mm. and risk failure, risk pain, mm. you know. And in the end, pain will be experienced. And is that a bad thing? Because someone will die. Yeah. You know, say you love someone a lifetime. Either you die or they die. There's pain in Someone's that. Someone's gonna die. <laughs> Someone's gonna die. I mean, maybe not. No, you know, no, I'm probably hoping to live to 150. So that's maybe true. Not. Life in general. Yeah. But um, yeah. have you found that you've you've made the most money when you've been um, really committed, but also playing by the rules and doing it small and little evolutionary growth? Or, or have you made the most money when you've been really bold and said, "Fuck it, I'm going in." Bold. Bold. Fortune favors the bold. Yep. That rings true. Oh yep. wow! Damn. Mm. Yeah. All in. All in. All in, baby. Okay. So this is this is like balls deep. Like you're following every every little bit of insight that your intuition is giving you towards your business. 
Yeah, man. I mean, 25 years old, I started my first real estate business. I was the number one performing agent in Karatha at that time um, from the age of 23. So I'd only been in real estate two years. I was the number one performing agent. I was generating a million dollars a year plus in commissions, um, working for someone else in the marketplace. But I was in a market that um, was the most depressed market in Australia, perhaps one of the most depressed markets in the world the mining boom had gone like that and then come down like that and um it was going down like that (laughs) in 2015 and uh i was up against agencies that had been there for 10 20 years people who were well known in the community much older than me uh i took out and um i had a hundred and thirty thousand dollars saved in the bank to fund things um in my first month in opening my business, one of my competitors sued me. So a competitor bought the business that I was working for previously and took them over. And then in that deal, got um, permission and authority to basically sue me in my, under my non-compete clause of my employment contract. And they were suing me for setting up a, another business. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't lawful. If it had gone to trial... I would have won, but to go to trial in the Supreme Court of Western Australia cost you $300,000, $350,000 in legal fees um, to do that. So if you don't have the money at that time, then what the fuck do you do? You, you settle. So wow. I spent $60,000 on legal fees at that time. Uh, that then drained my cash. I spent $100,000 on an office fit out. Um, I had... My money was draining fast. I had to ask my dad for a $50,000 loan, which he remortgaged his house to get out. I then took out an $80,000 unsecured loan from ANZ at 14% interest. Um, And then three to six months later, I took out another $100,000 unsecured credit loan at 21% interest. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, And yeah, man, like I sold that business for... Uh, $850,000, $900,000 a few years later. At, at the time, were you thinking of just like closing down shop and bouncing? No, or there was no out? option to do that. I just started a business. True. I couldn't close it. I had no option. Mm. But that's, that's something that like I like to teach as well is to burn your boats. You know, yeah. people are like, oh, I'll start this business over here. But if that fails, then I can do this over here. And they're already thinking about plan B plan B and plan C. And if you're doing that, like there are always going to be options there, but if you're focusing your mind on that, you're not really putting all of your energy and intention and focus into succeeding. True. In plan A. So 100% man. Yeah. I've made some of my biggest gains when my back spin against the wall Mm. because it's sink or swim in that moment. Then you're a war, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Are you ready for the uh, final question? Yeah. Do you have another question? No, no. No? Okay. So just imagine um, you had an opportunity to speak on someone's channel, and you, you know you're gonna reach a billion plus, like pretty much the whole world. You get a five minute slot to feel, big question, but do, would you take it? And if you did take it, what kind of message would you wanna say? Yeah, I'd take it. Yeah, what kind of, what do you think would be the, the husk of that message you would send out? Mm. You're going to die. Stop sweating the small stuff. And let the love in. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. 
All righty, man. Yeah, that's where we'll end it. That's where we'll end it. All right, take two. Good. Thank you, bro. <laughs> Simple <laughs> and powerful. Yeah. I love it.